Thank you, team and Phil. Uh, just to give you a heads up and where we're headed this morning, I want to uh, make an observation uh, from the text that was read this morning. I want to ask you a question. I want to offer an invitation. I want to give you a challenge. And then I want you to leave uh, with some encouragement. So I want to make an observation. I want to ask you a question. I want to extend an invitation. I want to offer a challenge, and then I want to uh, provide some encouragement for you uh, as you leave. Uh, First, I want to provide an observation from our text. And the observation is this. Maybe you saw it as Phil read this morning. Uh, There is joy in watching others go if it means following Jesus. There is joy in watching others go, particularly if it means following Jesus. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 35 reads, The next day, again, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then verse 37 reads, The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. I love the picture here. John the Baptist is up to his old tricks announcing the person and the work of Jesus to anyone and everyone who is willing to listen. John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. Remember last week, we kind of unpacked that, uh, that name for Jesus, that Lamb of God. We said that it meant that Jesus was a sufficient sacrifice, that Jesus is our substitute. Uh, John announces Jesus to two disciples as Jesus walks by. And, um, and I love how the disciples respond. Uh, John essentially says, hey, look at him. And his disciples go, yeah, there he is. And so they leave John the Baptist and they start following Jesus. Like, they took John the Baptist at his word and said, if that's the Savior, then we're going with him. Now, maybe you read that and you hear that and you don't think it's such a big deal. Maybe you do, but uh, I, I think I can speak on behalf of at least a few pastors and suggest to you uh, that most of us long for the church to grow. Like we really do. Sometimes uh, that longing is for good reasons and other times it is not, uh, but you will be hard-pressed to find any pastor who will say to you, uh, I really, I think this year, am trying to preach us down. Like, I, it really is my hope and desire for it just to be me, my wife, my children, and my Jack Russell Terrier. No, you want to see um, the church grow, and oftentimes pastors or ministry leaders Uh, want to see the particular flock that they shepherd to grow as well. What is interesting to me is that longing and that desire is actually not new. It brings me uh, some level of comfort uh, to know that this this desire, this longing uh, to see the church grow uh, has been around for quite some time. And along with that, uh, to see others maybe leave your teaching or your church or your following for the sake of another at times can actually ruffle a few feathers, believe it or not. 
Later in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 3, verse 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Verse 25 of John chapter 3. Now a discussion rose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Right? In today's vernacular, it would be the equivalent of going up to the pastor and going, Hey, just so you know, everyone is leaving your church and they're going with that guy. Right? So get the picture. This, I love how John the Baptist uh, responds. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I love that picture. I mean, people say to John the Baptist, hey, uh, buddy, I don't know if you've noticed, but everyone's leaving you and they're going to Jesus. And John the Baptist replies with a smile. He says, my joy is complete. Why did John the Baptist say that? Because it was his hope and prayer. It was his longing to point other people to Jesus. And so he is actually living this out. This marked John the Baptist's ministry. It says in John chapter 1, verse 26, John answered them, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Later in John's gospel in verse 29, it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And then John actually gets to live out what he preached John said that I exist to point other people to Jesus, uh, even if that means people leaving my little preaching ministry that I have going in order to follow Jesus. Um, there is joy in watching other people leave if other people leave in order to follow Jesus. We, as the people of God, uh, should rejoice when this happens. Uh, when someone you know and someone you love and someone you have invested in over the course of time uh, leaves for the mission field or for ministry or for a beautiful nonprofit or some opportunity that God has called them to, even when it means them leaving uh, your presence, uh, you rejoice. 
One day, parents, if uh, your son or your daughter uh, comes to you and says, Daddy or Mommy, uh, I was surfing the web the other day, and it said that an estimated 7.83 billion people are alive today, and 3.37 billion people are unreached with little or no access to the gospel, and I want to follow Jesus so I can tell them, uh, moms and dads, we rejoice. Uh, parents, if your children come to you one day and say to you that I read, according to the Joshua Project, that there are approximately 17,428 unique people groups in the world, and 7,400 of them are considered unreached, or 42% of the population the vast majority, 85% of those unreached people groups exist in the 1040 window and less than 10% of missionary work is done among those people. And your little boy or your little girl uh, says to you, that is not right and I want to go do something about it. Uh, moms and dads, you rejoice. Because we spend our days pointing people to Jesus. And so when we see people and experience people who we know and we love, uh, leaving our presence to uh, go uh, follow the call of Jesus, to chase after uh, Jesus, we celebrate. We celebrate. My observation is that there is joy in watching others go if going means following Jesus. Look with me again at verse 35 of John chapter 1. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with the two disciples, and he looked as Jesus, uh, at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard this, uh, and they followed Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. I said I wanted to make an observation and I wanted to ask you a question. And the question that I want to ask you is the question uh, that Jesus asked. And that question is, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Isn't that a great question? What are you seeking? Maybe another way of stating it is what do you want? What are you looking for? Uh, what do you really desire in life? Author Matt Carter in his commentary on the Gospel of John writes these words. The first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are found in verse 38. What are you looking for? This is the question that confronts each of us. What are you looking for? What are you seeking in life? These two disciples could have been looking for assurance that they were okay before God, that their effort and sincerity were sufficient to please Him. They could have been seeking for authority, for position and prominence in the company of a powerful leader. They could have been looking for the excitement that would have come through a new political leader uh, who would lead a rebellion against the establishment. 
They could have been hoping for an escape from the drudgery of boring, purposeless lives. They could have been seeking personal affirmation, someone to say, you're okay. They could have been looking for a mystical, religious experience, some new feeling that they'd never experienced. The same question that Jesus asked those disciples, he asks you and me today, what are you seeking? Have you ever thought about the answer to that question before? I mean, have you ever really thought about the answer to that question? Have you ever, in the quietness of uh, some evening, uh, when the kids are not making noise or when the house is still, have you ever thought to yourself, what, what am I seeking in life and from life? What uh, do I want? What do you want from God? Do you want acceptance? Do you want position? Uh, do you want influence? Do you want excitement? Do you want escape? Do you want love? Do you want security? Do you want experience? Do you want approval? Another way to ask the question is, are you coming to Jesus for Jesus? Or do you want something you think Jesus can provide? I said this morning that I wanted to make an observation. The observation is that there is joy in seeing others leave if their leaving means they are following Jesus. I wanted to ask you a question, and my question is, what are you seeking? I also said I wanted to extend an invitation. I want to extend an invitation for you and me this morning, and the invitation is simply this, to come and see Jesus uh, Jesus, or John points to Jesus when he tells his disciples, look, in verse 36 of John chapter 1. In verse uh, 39 of John chapter 1, uh, he invites them or says to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. In the context one might make the case that what Jesus is inviting the disciples to do is simply to invite them to see where he's staying. I mean, that is the context of uh, the conversation. Come and you will see. Uh, but it seems to me that Jesus is inviting the disciples and he is inviting you and me uh, to something more uh, when he invites us uh, to come and see. I say that because in just a few verses, Philip finds Nathanael and says to him in verse 43 of John chapter 1, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. 
that invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples, that very same invitation that we read in other places throughout the gospel, is an invitation that the God of the universe gives to you and to me today. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Uh, Come and experience Jesus. Come grow to know and understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Watch as Jesus moves and acts. Understand his character. Come and see. Come and see. If you are here this morning and uh, you do not have a relationship uh, with Jesus, maybe the Jesus stories are familiar to you, uh, maybe you have heard them before, maybe you grew up in the church, maybe some of Scripture is interesting to you, uh, but you don't know if there is buy-in yet, uh, could I just e- extend to you an invitation today to come and see Like, meet Jesus, wrestle with who he claimed to be, thumb through the pages of Scripture, dwell on his word, talk to people who know him, come and see. Come and see. I said this morning that I wanted to make an observation. There is joy in watching others go as long as others are following Jesus. I wanted to ask you a question. What are you seeking And I wanted to extend to you an invitation. Come and see. Come and meet Jesus. I also said that I wanted to provide a challenge. And my challenge is this, uh, to invite others uh, to come and see as well. If you know Jesus, if you've experienced Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus and you love Jesus, uh, then invite other people uh, to, the ex- to experience the faith that you possess. John chapter 1, verse 40 reads, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. We have found the Messiah. Andrew had found the Messiah. What a discovery, right? To meet the Savior of of the world. The word translated found implies someone who diligently seeks something and then joyfully discovers it. Uh, It is like the parable of a man who finds treasure in the field. Remember the story that's told in the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 reads, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found, same word, and, and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. The picture is one of an individual who finds true and lasting joy or who finds a treasure and says, I want to give up everything so I can have that treasure. They find the treasure, uh, he finds the treasure and is overcome by joy. Matthew chapter 18, verse 13, another parable, we're told of a man who has a hundred sheep, but one is missing. So what does he do? He leaves the 99 and searches diligently for the one. And if he finds, 
Same word, if he finds it, if he finds the sheep, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than the other 99 that did not go astray. With the intensity of a shepherd looking for his lost sheep and the joy of a man who discovered a great treasure, Andrew endorses Jesus to his brother. We have found him. We have found him. Your faith, a church family, may be personal, but it is not meant to be private. Maybe you think to yourself, well, James, I don't, I don't talk about politics or religion. Um, I get the politics thing. Maybe you shouldn't talk politics. That's dangerous nowadays. Um, but talk about the religion thing, or at least talk about the relationship. Like if, if Jesus has changed your life, if he's given you eyes to see, if you were an enemy of God and now you are a friend, if God took your spiritually dead body and raised you to life, by all means, um, tell someone about it. Here, uh, Andrew finds his brother, Simon. He says, we have found him, and he brings him to Jesus. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, uh, you know there is some debate by people, maybe within the church, theologians, uh, who argue about who found who. Uh, Did we find Jesus, or did Jesus uh, find us? In verse 41, Andrew found his brother. Uh, Later, in verse 43, Jesus found Philip. In verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said, hey, we have found him. It raises an interesting question. In the Christian life, who really finds whom? Well, the great church father Augustine wrote, we could not even have begun to seek for God unless he already found us. We see this truth developed later in the gospel of John when Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. The conversation, the debate here is not insignificant. It is significant, but the point here is not to draw conclusions about who found who. The point seems to be that when someone finds Jesus, they tell other people and invite that person uh, to find him too. They don't keep it to themselves. They don't keep Jesus uh, to themselves. There is a biblical pattern throughout the pages of Scripture that when people are changed by the God of the universe, they go and they invite other people uh, to experience Jesus as well. This is what God has done in my life, and so I want you uh, to come and see. This invitation is all over the pages of Scripture. I think as I read this story earlier in the week, I thought about the story of the demon-possessed man that is told in the Gospels. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. Jesus goes to the shore. There's a demon-possessed man. He casts the demons out of this man into the pigs. The pigs run into the water. They're drowned. This man's life is radically and completely changed by Jesus in a heartbeat. And the man who Jesus rescued and saved comes up to Jesus and basically tells Jesus, hey, I want to follow you wherever you go. Like, wherever you, wherever you go, whenever you leave, like, I'm your guy. Like, I'm with you. And, and I love what Jesus uh, said to this man. He said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, Scripture says, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus has done for him. Isn't that interesting? 
The man says to Jesus, I want to go wherever you go. And Jesus said, no, I want you to stay. And I want you to share your story. Like, I want you to tell people what I have done uh, for you. My church family, can I ask you, is that, is that a regular uh, part of our, our lives? Is that, a, is that a regular rhythm for us? Um, to know that the God of the universe has saved us and he has rescued us. Uh, we were far from him and he brought us near. We were spiritually dead and he made us alive. Like, how excited are you um, to share that news with others? Uh, to invite them, hey, come and see. Like, I want you to know the difference that God has made in my life. I want to proclaim to you and to anyone who will listen how much Jesus has done for me. Maybe you hear that story, you think about that story, and you go, well, that's, <laughs> you know, that story about the demon-possessed man with the pigs, that's a little different. It's not my story. That's a little unique. And you're right, it, it's not your story. Uh, but you have a story, and you have a powerful story. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then God has done a miraculous work in your life. And so who are uh, you sharing it with? Like, who are you telling? Uh, recently, I was having a conversation with a friend, and he, and he flipped to the back of his Bible. We were having a conversation, and, and I kind of looked over his shoulder, and I saw a list of, uh, I saw a list of names in the back of his Bible. I don't know how many there were. 15, 20 names. And, and uh, he goes, uh, just passing in conversation, he goes, these are the people that, uh, that don't know the Lord uh, that I'm praying for. And you look down the list, and there's, there's two dates uh, next to two names. And, uh, and he told me, yep, that, that person right there, um, God, God rescued him, God saved him, he trusted Christ on this date. And this name right here, he uh, he, he came to Christ recently. He came to Christ on this date. And I just love seeing that. I, so, I was so convicted uh, by that. I just thought, man, like who are the people, James, in your life uh, who you are praying for? Who are the people that you are chasing after? Like who are the, who are the people in, in the back of your Bible or on your app that you're praying for? Do you, do you have a list? I wonder... A church, if I could be uh, so, so bold, uh, could I offer a challenge to you um, to have a name? Maybe your list isn't 15 or 20, maybe it's not 10, but could it, could it be one? Is there one person that God has sent in your life where you go, I don't know if that person knows the Lord or not. I'm pretty sure that person is far from God. And could you make it a point just to pray for that person? Like, God, I pray that you would open a door for me to share the gospel with that person. Or, God, I pray that you would send someone in their life who knows you and loves you who would be able to share the gospel with that person. God, I pray that you would give that person spiritual eyes to see. God, I pray that that person, that that person would spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. God, would you do a miraculous work in that person's heart or in that person's life? Do you have, do you have a name? Do you have a name? I said this morning that I want to make an observation. The observation is that there is joy in watching others go if going means following Jesus. I wanted to ask you a question. What are you seeking in life? I wanted to extend an invitation. The invitation is to come and to see. And the challenge was to invite others to come and see as well, to have, to have a name. Lastly, I want to give you an encouragement. I want to read the text 
And then, and then based on what we read in the text, I just want to provide an encouragement for you. John chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Jesus gives him a nickname. Here's my encouragement to you this morning. People who are found by Jesus are changed by Jesus. People who are found by Jesus are changed by Jesus. When Jesus meets Simon, he changes his name to Peter, or he gives him a new name, a divinely appointed nickname. Nicknames are usually based on a past event or some defining characteristic. When God changes a name, it's often a prophetic nickname. It's a way for him to declare his intent for this person. Abram's name was changed to Abraham because he would be the father of many nations. Jesus is declaring his intention to transform Simon into Peter, literally into the rock. I love that. I mean, just think about the power of a name. I had a friend recently, just the other week, uh, send a text message to a few guys. He was trying to lasso me in uh, to play tennis with a group of guys. And, uh, and apparently, in watching this text thread, I realized that everyone had a nickname except for myself. The guy who wrote the text, his nickname was just his initials, AC. And when he wrote the text, he said, Slats and Moose. And James. Like, can you play tennis on Tuesday night? And I said, I'm not playing tennis unless I have a cool nickname. Like, I'm not going to get together with AC, Slats, and Moose and be James. Like, how boring is that? You can't put me at such a disadvantage. And so I wanted so desperately uh, to have a nickname, right? Because nicknames, names, it can be powerful. They, they can say something about a person, who a person is. One commentator wrote this, At the time, Peter is nothing like a rock. He's emotionally unstable. He's impulsive. His moods travel by way of a roller coaster. I love that line. Yet Jesus lets Simon know that he will be, future tense, transformed into a rock, which, by the way, is arguably the coolest nickname that you could ever have. What is wild is that it actually happens. Today, we don't turn to uh, the book of First Simon, do we? No, we turn uh, to the book of First Peter, and there we read the words of a man whose life had been transformed by Jesus. This is what Jesus does with every true disciple. I love what author D.A. Carson wrote when he said, Jesus so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. Jesus so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. I don't know about you, but that is so hope-giving 
for me. Jesus calls them and makes them what he calls them to be. Jesus does not look for finished products. Uh, He isn't checking our past work experience when recruiting followers. If past experiences always indicated future change potential, none of us, none of us would be children of God. Instead, uh, Jesus essentially speaks a word over us. He so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. If you are here this morning and you have breath, um, God is not finished with you yet. He is working in you uh, to mold you, to form you, and to shape you into the image of Jesus. Um, There are times when that process is painful, when it feels like God is stripping away our dependence or our pride or our arrogance or our self-reliance, but he does so uh, to create something in us, to form and shape us into the people that he has called us to be. This is life-giving for you because he's not done with you. And it is life-giving for those that you know and love because he's also not done with them. Jesus so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. There is joy in watching others go if going means following Jesus. What, who are you seeking? Come and see Jesus and then tell someone about him. People who are found by Jesus are changed by Jesus. And that's really good news for you and for me. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your living and active word. Thank you for the way that you use it to form us and shape us and change us. Uh, Lord, you want uh, us to be changed from the inside out. You don't simply want behavior modification. You want us to long for the things that you long for, to love the things that you love, to desire the things that you desire. And so I pray that you would give us hearts for you today. God, as a people, I pray that we would be invitational in how we move and act. I pray that we would be quick to invite people who are far from you near. I pray that we would be a people of prayer as we see you work in the hearts and lives of people. God, I would ask by the power of your spirit that you would change us so that we would reflect your son, Jesus. We love you and we trust you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.